Just gonna run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. Now, here we go. It's another big week in the NFL for the New England Patriots. This is the Patriots Wire podcast, powered by USA Today Sports. Now your host, Ryan O'Leary, and Patriots Wire editor, Henry McKenna. More like Henry Nostradamus McKenna. Okay, so never mind the seven and a half points the Pats were getting as underdogs against the Ravens. But Henry, you picked the Patriots to win this game straight up. And I just got to give you the victory lap, my friend. Go ahead and take it. Yeah, I can I can hear the applause through the microphone. All the fans out there. Hey, I'm proud of you. Out. I'm proud of you, Henry. Uh, yeah, I mean, I don't, it was kind of a gut thing. Like, I don't know, I couldn't pin schematically you know why it was going to work perfectly like you can listen to the podcast last week i basically identified all the things that were going to happen for the patriots defense to stop lamar jackson and then i i said you know newton was going to play mistake free football and i mean I, I told you how the game was going to go i just i don't really know how i knew that that was actually going to happen you know what i mean i think as much as i i am brilliant and unstoppable <laughs> and the best analyst in football 100 yeah, it, it was also a little bit of luck but hey this blind squirrel will take this nut and, and feel good about it <laughs> I, I love it and i think we learned a few things we learned that the ravens are kind of soft right a little bit of rain a little bit of wind and you punch them in the mouth and they kind of turtle a little bit i thought that was interesting they can't snap the football for crying out loud the center that was an adventure every snap for lamar jackson it seems like he's reaching lunging trying to catch the ball the ball was all over the place. That was kind of hilarious. But what do you think about the approach by the Patriots? Because they came right out, kind of an old school thing, right? That opening drive, just fronting it right down their throats with Damian Harris, who's just trucking over people. He was questionable to even play with that uh, chest injury. We weren't even sure how hurt he was. He's running people over. Cam Newton had a carry on that opening drive where he put the shoulder down and bolt someone over. And I know the Pats didn't score on that opening drive, Henry, but you almost felt it. You're almost like, whew, the Patriots are here to play. They're here to hit. They're here to be physical. And I think they identified that, yeah, the Ravens are a good team, but you hit them, you knock them in the mouth a little bit, and they might back down. And that I think we definitely saw that. They're quick to frustration. I think that their their expectations are for themselves are very high. And this is, this is me speculating on the mentality of a team that I don't even cover. So I suppose it's not necessarily that's um, that's what the talk show is for henry go ahead exactly so <laughs> let me let me do it I, I think like from a mentality standpoint they they seem to me like a team that thinks that wins should be just sort of handed to them because they're uber talented they have the defending mvp but then you see them need to really execute the game plan well to be creative to continue to evolve around lamar jackson and you just don't see it happening and like Marcus Peters' body language during the game was sort of telling. It was a bad night for him. Yeah, anytime something went wrong beyond him, he was like throwing a tantrum. And then, and then there were games that there were plays that he was taking off, like he wasn't doing his best to be a good run defender. So that was sort of weird. And then, like you said, Lamar Jackson 
and uh, the running backs kind of got punched in the mouth by the Patriots' interior defense. So then they decided that they were going to run to the edge, um, which didn't work either, really. And it just was sort of strange to see them be like, "We're an interior run team." Oh wait, we're going to try, we're going to try attacking the edge because the interior is not working. And then they just sort of were scrambling for a solution throughout the game. And then they ended up throwing the ball, which worked well enough, but um, the Patriots were able to protect their lead in part because of the bad weather that that ended up being very good for them. Yeah, Belichick um, turning up the rain there in the fourth quarter, of course. Right? Exactly. Yeah, on like Twitter. A, that's, that's always like fun. a Hollywood set. Yeah, I love it. Just turn on the rain. Um, but yeah, so I mean, it was a really impressive game for the Patriots controlling it just completely. I mean, you know, whether it was the run game, basically controlling the run game, which controlled the game. You know, the fact that they could run without problems, the fact that they could stop the run without problems. That was how this game started and ended. Yeah, it was a good game for the coaches. I think you got to score one for Belichick because for me, it's like the Ravens are just playing. They're just kind of doing what they do, right? We're going to be, we're going to have Lamar Jackson in the shotgun all game. And they put that on the broadcast, the graphic, you know, they're number one in the league in shotgun snaps, right? And they just it's left him in the, yeah, the pistol and they just yeah. leave him there. And the, the center can't snap the ball. The ball's fluttering all over the place. They're dropping it. They had that fourth down play where they put Ingram in the backfield and they snap it over his head or whatever. And it's just like, it's a nightmare for them. So I, the, the Ravens didn't seem like they adjusted at all for the conditions, and the Patriots did. So you got to give Belichick that thing. And Henry, do you think the Pats win that game without Damian Harris? Like, let's start to weigh the importance of this kid now. Uh, you know, you got Burkhead, you got James White. I know the Patriots love to use all their running backs in different ways, but if you don't have Damian Harris setting the tone and running like he did and picking up those big chunk plays on the ground, I don't know if that game turns out the way it did, right? I mean, do you think the Pats win that game without Harris? Burkhead can run like that. He could do some of those things, for, definitely, yeah. Yeah, not for 22 carries a game. And if he does it for 22 carries a game, he gets hurt. So I think Harris is an essential uh, part. I mean, he's he's really the offensive centerpiece. Like, they can't do anything without setting up that power run game. Cam Newton is so much better as a passer when he's operating out of play action. So the zone read works, the run pass option works, and that's usually using, like, Burkhead, honestly. And, so, and to some degree, Harris. But Newton and this Patriots offense work best right now when they get Damian Harris running the ball and, like, hitting linebackers rather than letting linebackers hit him. And then they start to build the play action around that. And that ball possession game is why games are so close, like, going the last three weeks. But it with Cam Newton finally not making mistakes – it's also why the Patriots are starting to win. So we saw the, the one mistake against the Bills was enough to cost them the entire game. But with the Jets, it was tight. With the Ravens, it was tight. That's just how the Patriots are, are playing these games. That's their style this year. And it's because they need the run game to be so at the focus of it all. Mm. Um, and then the, their defense does just enough. And they can do just enough because they're barely on the field because the Patriots are controlling the ball so much. So it's working now. We've seen it not work in other parts of the season. Um, but it, I don't know. I, I think we talked last week about this. Like maybe the Jets win wasn't like the quality win that, that we really wanted. Like you were very angry. Yes, I was very, I was very salty last week. Yes, right at the fact that they won and the way that they won, right? But I was like, let's see the silver lining here, which is the Patriots have a style of really playing close games because that's that's the way that they see the best way to win. It's not that they want to win close, but it's just like their offensive game plan 
which highlights the strengths of running the ball, will create close games because everybody everybody has good offenses these days. It makes I mean, that's a vast overstatement, but for the most part, teams really are scoring points this year. So for the Patriots to not, they they really have to like control the game and that will ultimately probably create close games. And so the monkey off the back last week with the Jets was them actually winning a close game for the first time, you know, basically this season. So this is a second example of them winning a close game and against a much more quality opponent. I think things are looking up, but I cannot implore the Patriots and Patriots fans enough to know how huge of a trap game this Houston Texans game is. Because as much as I think they were going to beat the Ravens, I am absolutely like, it's very nerve wracking to me. Someone who doesn't really even root for the team, uh, like an unbiased reporter, but I'm nervous for them to just fall into this trap of losing to the Texans. No, no, this is a this is a funny game. This is a weird one, right? It, it's there's something fishy about this one against the Texans. I want to get into that later, but there's one Patriots player that I'm freaking all in on that I'm I'm in love with, and there's another Patriots player that's kind of in my doghouse that I'm I'm not happy with. Let's talk about that with Henry coming up next. Fantasy football is about proving that you are better than your friends. Sit him, start him. These are the fantasy picks of the week. It will kill me if this game ends in a tie. I need this win. This game's pretty much done. With Corey Bonini from TheHuddle.com. Corey Benini with TheHuddle.com here to talk to you about fantasy football strong plays for week 11 of the NFL season. Quarterback Jameis Winston versus the Atlanta Falcons. Winston replaces Drew Brees, who's injured and is going to miss at least several weeks. The former Tampa Bay quarterback has plenty of weapons, the familiarity with this week's opponent, and it doesn't hurt that Atlanta has given up the second most passing yards and the most touchdowns to quarterbacks in 2020. You'll see some Taysom Hill worked in as usual, but Winston is a strong play and has a lot on the line. Running back DeAndre Swift of the Detroit Lions is moving into that must-start territory. He was officially designated the starter prior to last week's game, and Swift averaged 5.1 yards per carry on his 16 totes, adding another 68 yards and a score on five receptions. Up next is the Carolina defense, one that was slashed last week by Ronald Jones, and he was the sixth back to get at least 25 PPR points in 10 games this year. No team has allowed more catches to the position in 2020. Another guy coming off a strong performance in Week 10... Willie Sneed of the Baltimore Ravens versus the Tennessee Titans. Averaging six targets in his last three games, Sneed's increase in action has finally paid off with a pair of scores against the Patriots Sunday night. He has Lamar Jackson's trust in all settings and is their go-to clutch receiver. Tennessee has given up huge receiving results in the last five weeks and mostly throughout 2020. This is by far the best matchup for receptions, 25 more than second place, and it's number two for yardage gains. Seven touchdowns have been scored by wide receivers in the last five games. Washington football team tight end Logan Thomas versus the Cincinnati Bengals. He has at least four targets in every game this year and 12 in the last two weeks. Even with a two-game scoreless streak, Thomas has scored 10-plus PPR points in three of his last four games. Prior to holding Eric Ebron to a 38-yard game in Week 10, a contest in which Pittsburgh's receivers destroyed Cincinnati all over the field, the Bengals had given up six touchdowns to tight ends in the previous four contests. Thomas makes her a sneaky play if you're desperate for a tight end. For more fantasy football tips, news, and advice, be sure to check out thehuddle.com. Just going to run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. 
Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. They've had a pretty good run what is in this area over the past couple of decades. Now the pass goes to Myers, and it's behind the line of scrimmage, and he's going to throw a high school quarterback he was, and Burkhead will make the catch in the end zone. About the fact that they moved him away from quarterback to wide receiver, but Bill Belichick knows all. Henry, I am all in on the Jacoby Myers experience. Right, this kid has never complained. He's taken advantage of whatever opportunities the Patriots have given him, and they let him throw a touchdown pass in the wind and the rain. Threw a better pass than I saw Lamar Jackson throw all day. And that was kind of a game changer there. That play, that that throw by Jacoby Myers, and then you just watch him in the post game, and I just love him. I think he's he's good. He's a good story. Good kid. I'm all in on Jacoby Myers. How do you feel about him? Yeah, he's a really nice person. I'll take you in the locker room um, last season. Obviously, this season I'm not in it, but. In the locker room last season, he just is such a humble guy, like always ready to talk to the media, always trying to be helpful and provide what information he can, Yeah, which most Patriots are not. They, they generally try to sort of obscure the information in as many ways as they can, um, just because that's Bill Belichick's style. But Jacoby's not really like that. He's got a, a more graceful approach to speaking with reporters. And you can tell he is eager to learn as much as he can from his teammates so he sticks his ear into conversations that he has no part of being in on the practice field etc with hopes of learning more about the game itself so you know he, when he was a rookie he was like listening to what the tight ends were being coached because maybe it would apply to him and he was listening to what you know his position coach was telling other receivers because maybe it would apply to him so there's an eagerness to learn there's a there's a, a humbleness that he embodies and the product is what we're seeing over the last few weeks. You know, an analytics darling, PFF loves, loves, loves what Jacoby has done. I think he's he's maybe second only to Justin Jefferson in terms of grades. Well, how about that? Yeah, and so Myers is is not a physical talent. That was why he went undrafted. He was he was from a forty time kind of slow. I think he ran like a four six something, which like again very slow uh, by an NFL receiver stand standards. But he's just got a knack for getting open. and He can run a route, right? He can run a route. Right. And even when he doesn't, like, have a route, like, even when it's an option route and it's kind of like go find the hole in coverage, he's pretty good at that, too. So he's for real. You never know what will happen with a guy like this who, like, is not super physically talented. We saw the Patriots bury him on the depth chart once, which was the beginning of this year. Like, he almost didn't make the team. Like, he was probably the fifth or yeah. sixth receiver on what, the depth chart. What the hell happened the there? Right? What the hell happened there? Because now well, he's out there and it was, it's like he's the best right. receiver on the team. Yeah, I think it was an oversight by New England. Like, they signed Demir Bird, who is extremely fast, and they wanted him to work. They have a spot in the offense that requires someone with a higher level of speed. And so they needed someone to fill that role. And so Demir Bird steps in. Obviously, they want Julian Edelman to be a big part of the offense. So he takes the slot. And then Nikhil Harry is their former first-round pick, who they really want 
to get touches. So Myers was getting work kind of behind those three guys if he was getting work at all. And what we see now is that Myers is far more effective in the slot than an injured Julian Edelman. And he's probably arguably more effective outside than Nikhil Harry, who was moving outside and inside, which which I think Myers could probably do. And so can Julian Edelman. So if you put those two guys, Julian and, and Jacoby together, you could probably equal Julian and Nikhil together, right? Yep, By just yep. making them a little more versatile. Seems like Nikhil uh, Harry now, and this if I'm putting on my analysis hat, Henry, and this is always dangerous. You know, this is always dangerous when I do this because, you know, I'm, yeah. I'm a fanboy at heart. But it seems like with Nikhil in the Ravens game, he was out there a lot and he was heavily involved in the blocking game. Maybe that's how they're they're punishing Nikhil for playing crappy football because I don't know if you noticed that too but it seems like that's the role they have him in right now not even punishing it's just the it's just like acknowledging what he can and can't do sure and he can't really get open <laughs> that's an indictment so that, though <laughs> that's like his bad indictment it, I mean it's like Ryan Izzo like Nikhil Harry and Ryan Izzo are kind of like the same player at two different positions and it it's bad for a tight end to be a blocking only tight end when they're your starter. That's not a good thing. Now, if, if Ryan Izzo was like a situational blocking tight end, it would be fine. And that's all he is. It's just that the Patriots are asking him to be a tight end. And they drafted him in the, I think, the seventh round. So it's really not that big of a deal. It's a really big deal when you have a blocking only receiver. That's a problem. Yes. There's, there's no such thing that as you like, draft in the first blocks. round. And yeah. So the, the fact that he's a blocking only receiver is a problem. And then it's an even bigger problem that you got that blocking receiver in the first round. It's just the Nikhil Harry story is getting to be extremely problematic for Bill Belichick and obviously for Nikhil Harry. And I don't know what they do when Julian Edelman and I mean, Nikhil Harry came back last week and he played a limited role. You can't take Myers off the field. You no, can't use absolutely you can't not. use Nikhil Harry to replace Demir Bird because they just don't do the same thing. Nikhil Harry's about to be the number four receiver on this offense. And that is scary because he's not showed enough competency to earn snaps as the fourth receiver. And if, even if he gets a few snaps here and there, he's not showed enough efficiency to make the most out of those snaps and get any production. We might be looking at Nikhil Harry finishing the season with like five more catches. Yeah. I mean, that is that is a distinct possibility, which which is just as it is his. I mean, we people call Sony Michelle a bust. Nikhil Harry is bordering on one of the worst draft picks in Bill Belichick's history. Yeah. You know what that commentary signals? Questions like Tom Curran threw at Bill Belichick the other day, making him answer for his bad drafting. <laughs> like that is that's what happens. So, right. yeah. So, yeah, that's exactly what it is. So I'm all in on Jacoby Myers. They have to keep him on the field no matter what. If that means that Kale Harry's ass goes on the bench, so be it. I did say that there was someone in my doghouse. And I want to talk to Henry about that. Let's see that one coming up next. It's that time again for the line of the week. The inside track to the favorites, the underdogs, and the over-unders. I think I want my money back. Now, here are Jeff Clark and Eston McLaren from USA Today's Sportsbook Wire. Hello, I'm Eston McLaren of SportsbookWire.com and Bet Slippin' Podcast. I'm joined by Jeff Clark to break down all you need to know to bet on the Week 11 Monday Night Football game between the Los Angeles Rams and Tampa Bay Buccaneers. The Buccaneers come in favored by three and a half points on home field. They beat the Carolina Panthers 46-23 last week. The Rams, they're three and a half point underdogs after their 23-16 win over the Seattle Seahawks. Jeff, how are you feeling about this one? 
Give me the better coach and the better defense of the Los Angeles Rams. People took Sean McVay for granted and weren't high on the Rams before the season started, but he's got them tied for first place in the NFC West, and I still think the Rams are undervalued. And who's even got the best defense in this game? Rams give up the second fewest points per game and the fewest yards per attempt to opposing quarterbacks. I'm on the Rams plus three and a half. It's very evenly matched. You're dead on there. The Buccaneers, they have more offensive weapons for the Rams to cover. They keep them busy. They win by four points. All odds courtesy of BetMGM. Subscribe to BetSlip and Podcast on your favorite app. Please be sure to rate and review. Just going to run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. Henry, what the hell is going on with Stephon Gilmore? Because this is becoming a story that's not really being told, but I feel like there's like something going on behind the scenes with Stephon Gilmore, right? Reports came out a few weeks ago that he's selling his home in Foxborough. Never a good sign, right? Tom Brady did the same thing when he was out of town. He's missed three straight games now with this knee injury that I don't know when he got hurt. It kind of mysteriously popped up right around the NFL trade deadline. I think we all thought he was gone, or at least I did. So I don't know if he's still physically hurt, emotionally hurt, butt hurt. Was he checked out because the Patriots aren't winning? Is he really injured? Is he mad about his contract? Is he just a complete diva now that he's the defending defensive player of the year? Like, I don't know. I'm starting to, like, get mad at Stephon Gilmore. And I, I, want, I want to know why he's not battling and being out there on the field with his teammates. Like, I don't remember him getting carted off the field with this big major knee injury, but he keeps missing games. He keeps practicing and missing games. What the hell's going on with Gilmore? What, what's your take on that? I would say that the reason why people are floating that conspiracy theory is because it's sort of, from a reporting standpoint, it's sort of a, a irresponsible to speculate on a player's health when we don't really know what's happening behind the scenes. Like Bill Belichick would never discuss a player's health. He just doesn't do that. And then the injury report just says knee limited. Um, That's what it said since, like you said, a day or two before the NFL deadline. A little sketchy, right? But, But yes, I would not, I would not go so far as to speculate what is or is not happening. But what I would say is that like you said, you have put together some dots that definitely indicate that some of these sort of coincidental timings might show things happening behind the scenes like you said basically you know it's like there are some irregular circumstances the house up for sale the injury red flag popping up during a practice players don't generally get injured during practices but this happened and it's apparently an injury so bad that he's missed two games and so it's it is definitely an abnormal circumstance, and we we have zero indication of when, whether, or when Gilmore will return. I mean, he didn't go on IR, so if he misses a third game, the Patriots could have put him on IR because IR this year allows you to miss three games and be off the roster, so then you can add someone else. Right, right. So the Patriots have been using that a ton. So basically, what I'm getting at is the Patriots, when the knee injury happened, they thought that he was coming back soon. So the fact that this is dragging out is unexpected to the Patriots as well. So again, odd circumstances 
happening for sure. I don't trust Gilmore. I don't trust him. I think there's something going on behind the scenes. I think it's I think it's a I think it's a week to week butt hurt injury. It's not knee. It's a he's butt hurt about something. And I'd like Stephon Gilmore to get his ass back on the field because if the Patriots can figure out this tricky Texans game, and I I agree with you, Henry, you said it earlier. It'd be nice to have Stephon Gilmore out there, and the Patriots try to win a game to get to five and five while the Bills are idle. And all of a sudden, you get to five and five, and you never know. You never know. You're you're actually back in it. And then oh god, we're gonna have to talk about the Patriots trying to make it to the playoffs. And I did not want that for myself. Henry, but that might be the case. Uh, I want to give you the final word on this Texans game. I do want Patriots Nation to, uh, I think we we should all keep it in our pants here. We're, we're still four and five, below 500. Still a big time long shot, right? When you look at the AFC playoff picture, there's like nine teams ahead of the Patriots with six wins. <laughs> and the Patriots have four. So there's still a long ways to go for them to make the playoffs. Uh, I, I want to make sure I can't repeat that enough. We got we to gotta keep it in our pants for sure. But what do you think about this Texans game? The Pats are going over there on the road. They're favored by two and a half. They have had some success in the past against Deshaun Watson, right? The Texans cannot figure out how to win. Romeo Cornell is the freaking coach. This is a, an interesting matchup. I think the Patriots should definitely win, but I do think it is a scary matchup, Henry. You tell me why you think so. Romeo Cornell is what scares me the most, really? actually. He's getting he, old, though. Uh, He's getting old and senile. He wasn't last year <laughs> no. when the Patriots were absolutely thrown for a whirl. No, I love Romeo. I mean, love Romeo. it wasn't even that complicated of a defensive game plan. They just doubled Julian Edelman and James White. I think James White on third downs and, and Julian Edelman all the time. That's the only coach in the league that would take away Julian Edelman, right? Like no other right. coach could figure that thing out. But it's so simple, and especially last year in an offense. Like, Cornell was the first person to think of that. It was a, The Patriots had a very singular, sing, simple offense, and they were able to win a lot of games because – Tom Brady made it work. This year they were they're doing the exact same thing. They've got a it's it's on a shorter time span, but over the last 3 weeks we've seen them go simple, singular and Cam Newton's making it work with Jacoby Myers in particular. So what happens if they double Jacoby Myers? Cuz you know that's what they're going to do. At least that's what if Cornell's got the same brain as he did last year, it's what they should do. And for some reason no one's done that yet. It's like just acknowledge who's the best pass catcher. Really the only pass catcher in this offense. There's only one that Cam Newton's thrown to. <laughs> Yeah, it's Jacoby Myers. And so even James White hasn't been a good one. So maybe, you, you know, you doubled Rex Burkhead on third down and double Jacoby Myers throughout the game. All of a sudden, the Patriots can't pass the ball. They have to run, which works to a degree because they're running the ball better this year than last year. That was what really sunk the Patriots in the second half of the season last year was Sony Michelle was falling apart and the offensive line was less efficient. This year, the offensive line is the best offensive line in football when it comes to run blocking according to pro football focus yep, so it's a strength that passes the eye test too it's, it's that's why i'm not line can play right and so that's that's why i'm not going like all in on the texans are going to win but i am concerned romeo can now understands how the patriots offense works and it really hasn't changed that much under cam newton so cornell's going to look at this and it's a rubik's cube he can totally solve it's really not it's not complicated so that's what worries me is that the patriots offense it can get messy really fast we've seen that in past weeks when you know we saw that in the four game losing streak and the Texans can score Will Fuller is a great player big play threat you know you imagine JC Jackson is going to play him the whole game and maybe get an interception just because that's what JC Jackson does but uh you never know and and so I think a big play from Will Fuller could kind of tip the game toward the the Texans favor especially if Cornell is basically tying Josh McDaniel's offensive play calling hands behind his back. Well, if you're if you're nervous, Henry, then I'm nervous, especially after last week. I trust you implicitly. 
explicitly. Henry, Henry Nostradamus McKenna, as I said at the beginning of the show. So I hope you're not too, too worried because nothing would squash the the excitement of that win over the Ravens like a loss to the Texans the next week. So Yeah, so we'll it's going to be tight. I think it's going to be a little bit like that Jets game where, where fans, it's going to be like weird, like 13-10 or something bizarre. Like fans are not going to be excited coming out of it, but they'll probably, I think the Patriots will probably win. Yeah, well, his name is Henry McKenna at McKenna Analysis on Twitter, right? So you can send all your uh, hate mail to him if the Patriots not cover this. <laughs> uh, but Henry, I do appreciate you. Uh, appreciate your takes and have a great week. And we'll, we'll see what happens with this one. Yeah, I can't wait to talk to everyone next week. This USA Today Sports Podcast has been presented by USA Today's Sports Media Group and is available in your favorite podcast store. Make sure to subscribe for weekly updates, the latest fantasy picks from Corey Bonini, and the Huddle Podcast, Inside the Weekly Line, with Sportsbook Wire's Jeff Clark and Eston McLaren, and the Bet Slippin' Podcast. We'll see you again next week. Just going to run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts.